Welcome to a podcast of Wyoming Chronicle, where we tell the stories of Wyoming in a weekly program of interviews with newsmakers, artists, innovative thinkers, and unique Wyoming personalities. To learn more, visit us at wyomingpbs.org. The Right Reverend Paul Gordon Chandler was ordained and consecrated as the 10th Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Wyoming on February 13, 2021. He grew up in Senegal, West Africa, and has worked in over 150 countries over the years. And now he finds himself in the Wild West of Wyoming. Episcopal Bishop Paul Gordon Chandler, next on Wyoming Chronicle. Funding for this program is made possible in part by the Wyoming Humanities Council, helping Wyoming take a closer look at life through the humanities, thinkwhy.org, and by the members of the Wyoming PBS Foundation. Thank you for your support. Welcome to Wyoming Chronicle. I'm Craig Blumenshine from Wyoming PBS, and it's my pleasure to be joined by Right Reverend Paul Gordon Chandler, the Bishop of the Diocese of Wyoming Episcopal Church. Bishop, welcome to Wyoming Chronicle. It's great to be here, and thank you, Craig, for this opportunity. I'm really pleased that you are here, and we've asked you a little later in the show to offer a prayer for Wyoming. This is the very last Wyoming Chronicle that I'll produce for Wyoming PBS, and I'm very much looking forward to hearing that. But Bishop, you were ordained and consecrated as the 10th Bishop of the Episcopal Church in Wyoming about a year ago. Ten and, months ago. Uh, ten months ten ago, months in, ago, in right. February, and a beautiful and moving service at the cathedral in Laramie. And I remember reading a, an offering on the church's website with, um, that announced your appointment and your pending arrival with the headline that said, uh, Paul Gordon Chandler from the Middle East to the Wild West. Bishop, what I'm wondering is, you know, you grew up in Senegal, West Africa, I here in Wyoming. I don't know if our childhoods were the same or were they different? I think they were pretty different, uh, but there were some similarities, of course, uh, I'm sure as well. Uh, when my parents, uh, when I was four months old, my parents moved abroad, and I spent the first 18 years of my life in Senegal, West Africa, in the capital city of Dakar. I did go to boarding school for high school in Côte d'Ivoire, which is an Ivory Coast. It was a wonderful place to grow up. And of course, I was the minority, right, as an American in a context like that. They were 90% or more than 90% Muslim in that environment. And so the languages were French is the national language. And then the local language that was primarily spoken was Wolof. So I grew up with Senegalese, French, uh, as well, of course, as to some Lebanese that exist there also. And uh, so it was this kind of multicultural environment that I spent my early years in. And it shaped who I am. In, uh, in that sense. And I, one of the things for me has always been, how does one bridge to those who are different than ourselves? And as I trace back my own interest and passion in that question, it relates to me growing up in a context like that. And uh, it was uh, one of those opportunities that you learn to live as a minority. And so I've always felt my own comfortability is when I'm a minority ironically. So you can put me down in the middle of China and I feel very much at home, um, even though I don't know the language, mm -hmm. etc., or necessarily the culture. However, when I first started coming to Wyoming, 
And I first started when I was in 20, 2010, I think was the first time I was here. Um, the landscape, the terrain, reminded me very much of where I grew up. Really? Yeah. So there was a sense of kind of heart uh, that felt at home here. So were you able to get outside, explore, yeah, hike the nature, around, do the those wild types of space, the wildlife, of course. I mean, ironically, as a kid, I remember thinking of the United States as kind of a boring place. Here we had in Africa, all the beautiful exotic animals, etc. And then someone introduced me to the bison. Okay. And I was taken with the bison. So as a kid, I've always loved the bison. Now I'm in the land of the bison sure. in that regard, you know. So you may be, Bishop, the most traveled person I know. Um, after your um, high school years, um, what was next? You have told me you've lived and worked in 150 countries. Yeah. So I went to university here in the United States, seminary in the United Kingdom. And then after that, we've lived in a number of places around the world. We lived in Tunisia, North Africa. We lived in Egypt for 10 years. We lived in Qatar. We lived in France. lived in... Um, the United Kingdom. And then other jobs that I've had have required that I've worked in a number of countries around the world. And I think it was maybe uh, a few birthdays ago, the kids, we have two kids, um, they did a little kind of map exploration for me as to all the places I've worked. And I think it went over about 150 countries. So uh, yeah, it's been fascinating, you know. And now I'm in the exotic uh, terrain of Wyoming. And it, in my eyes, it couldn't be contrasted more than your previous church, was, which was in Qatar. Mm -hmm. um, in Doha, yeah. In Doha. The, uh, your weekly um, census at, at church was, what, 18,000 people or Yeah, so? what it was is that all Christian traditions pretty much, pretty much meet in one compound. And so that was hosted by the Anglican Church. So we hosted uh, many other, you know, congregations. We had 20 sanctuaries, and they were just used all the time. Every hour was a different service on the weekends. And uh, so, yeah, we had about 18 to 20,000 people would come through that complex on a weekend, and of about 60 different languages, actually, uh, and about 130 different denominations or church traditions were using that property every weekend. But this is in an area that is primarily Muslim. Yeah, almost 100% Muslim in terms of the local population. Uh, but it's a strange country in the sense that only about 10%, maybe even 8%, are actually indigenous Qataris. All the rest, so 90, 92% of the country, are foreigners. So that was a very different context than where I've served in, in the past, where really I'm the minority, if you will you know, uh, such as in Egypt or in Tunisia. We're going to talk a little bit later about some of your writings, but you spent a lot of your life thinking about the intersection of the Muslim world and the Christian world. Mm -hmm. A lot of that time in Qatar as well? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I growing up as a Christian, my father was the pastor of the International Church there in Dakar, Senegal. Growing up as a Christian in a Muslim environment, I mean, for me, it's always been how do we find a way to bridge to the other. All my friends were Muslim at that stage in my life. And it's were interesting. You ostracized yeah. in many ways no, because you were Christian? No, the complete opposite. Complete mm -hmm. opposite. I, I would say that the only people I know that would literally, without even thinking twice, give their life for me. In other words, step in front of a car for me. 
maybe with the exception of my wife on a good day, are my Muslim friends. That's how tight and close that you know, relationship and, and sense of loyalty is. Um, but in the back of my mind, I've always been thinking about how does one relate to the other in the way uh, that has integrity to my tradition, my Christian tradition. And one of the ways that's helped me to think about it, uh, and I think it relates as to what's going on in our own country right now, is how do we bridge to those who are different than ourselves? And I've always thought of it like the crescent, you know, that little sliver, that little part of the moon that we can see. But you can see that crescent because of the reflection, but the, whenever you see a crescent, the majority of the moon is dark. And for the sake of an illustration, I would say, and especially when we talk about Christians and Muslims, what we have different is that little sliver. But what we have in common is that dark side of the moon, the majority of the moon. And the challenge for us is to build our relationships with each other on the dark side of the moon, on all we have in common, a la Pink Floyd. You remember Pink Floyd had dark the dark side, side of the moon? Of the moon. Sure. But we're so blinded by the constant illumination of our differences that we can't see all that we have in common. So that's talking about Christians and Muslims, right? It also applies, though, principle-wise, to others who are different than ourselves, who, who see the world differently. Let's talk about the Episcopal Church and the Episcopal Church in Wyoming for, for just a moment, if we could. Um, the Episcopal Church is one of the oldest Christian denominations in the United States, but I think there are many who may not know a lot about the Episcopal Church, mm -hmm. uh, maybe especially today. And how would you describe, Bishop, the place that the Episcopal Church occupies in the broad array of religious profiles that we all experience and exist in the United States mm -hmm. today? We are one of the oldest. Of course, we come from England, that's why. Uh, so in a sense, we're the uh, U.S. expression here in North America of the Anglican Church and the Anglican Communion, which is some 70 to 80 million Anglicans around the world. And, uh, but the Episcopal Church in general, I would say, the way I'd like to describe it is, it is the via media. We are the middle way. So often people say we're the middle way between Protestants and Catholics. Uh, we're the middle way in terms of being able to host this diverse grouping of individuals. We're a motley crew, and we can all do it under one umbrella, largely because what holds us together is not doctrine, per se, or theology, but the way in which we worship. And hence, our book of worship is called the Book of Common Prayer, meaning we're praying it together. I remember one Christmas Eve, uh, sitting there with my uh, younger sister and watching people going forward for communion. And what struck me was the diversity of those going forward. Uh, it truly was a motley crew, you know, in that sense. And I think, so that's representative very much of the ethos of who we are, the Episcopal Church. There are a number of things, I think, that resonate with where the, uh, a lot of the younger generation is going, interestingly. And that is that we have the ability to focus on spirituality as opposed to religion. One of the things the Episcopal Church is also known for is that we are all embracing, so welcoming of anyone regardless of the diversity of their background. We're passionate about the environment. 
There's a sense of we look for the best in other spiritual traditions to enhance our own. We're passionate about mystery. And yet at the same time, we believe in the, the mind and reason and the world of science and all of that. So there are so many things, I think, going for the Episcopal Church that actually connect with the future. However, one of the great challenges, I think, is finding ways in which to communicate all of that that connects to the younger generation. And so often uh, it is seen as uh, not necessarily the most relevant uh, type of, of service. And so therefore, for us, a lot of it is rethinking. You know, what does it mean if we're starting all over today to take these same principles, these same beliefs, but how should they be packaged for today to connect with where people are at now? And I have a feeling that's really on your mind. The Episcopal Church is not only, as you said, one of the oldest Christian churches. Your membership is one of the oldest memberships in churches in, in yeah. the country as well. What are, how are people responding um, to mm -hmm. that, I guess, um, vision mm -hmm. of repackaging to have a broader appeal, mm -hmm. if you will? One of the things I would say about Wyoming, interestingly, uh, and I'm talking about the Episcopal Church in Wyoming, is that this boom and bust culture that we have, uh, uh, by necessity, has created an openness to doing whatever needs to be done in order to make it. So that's part of our DNA here. So in a sense, we're tapping into that in terms of the church in that regard. And so, yeah, there's been a remarkable openness and not always clarity as to what we need to do, but openness to doing what we need to do once we have that clarity. So we're actually uh, in the Episcopal Church right now, it's really, I think, we're on a journey exploring what that means. And who knows what it's gonna look like at the end, but it's a culture of experimentation and discovery mm. and uh, it's exciting. So while there are challenges, because almost all mainline denominations are in decline, uh, I see it as an opportunity for us. Are you us. hopeful? Because, Very hopeful. All right. You, um, you said after your ordination, and you put now, what, 30,000 miles on your Honda Pilot? Almost, yeah. Almost. Driving around Wyoming, you said that you wanted to discover how Christ walks the Wyoming road. Mm -hmm. what, have you, what have you discovered about that? Mm -hmm. I guess the, but what I mean by that is, if Jesus were here now, how would that look? And what does it mean to follow this Christ figure who taught us how to live, who demonstrated it with his life uh, in a context like Wyoming? And, uh, and so, and I think for us that means a number of things. That means um, paying attention to the needs that are here, very much so, that relate specifically to the context of this state. And uh, so, and issues of social justice, issues of encouraging diversity, issues of providing community uh, for those that find themselves alone in need of support uh, and attention. Uh, issues <clears throat> of uh, enabling us to experience the other, whomever the other is, because our lives are most enriched in that way. And one of the things about the, the Jesus is he was always crossing borders, cultural borders, geographical borders, social borders, 
And I think that's very much what the Episcopal Church is about. We are an entity that is a bridge to the other. And um, one of our models, of course, from a biblical standpoint, is the ancient figure of Abraham. And he was known as Abraham the Hebrew. The word Hebrew is the word Ivri, and it means uh, someone who crosses over. And so that's what Abraham did. He crossed over the Euphrates River there in Iraq into another world. And in that world, his life was enriched. And he learned what I would consider the um, principle of sacred hospitality. And there's this wonderful uh, Jewish, uh, really, uh, illustration where they, they say that Abraham left all four sides of his tent open for strangers to easily enter. And I think that's what the Episcopal Church is largely about. You've mentioned art a couple of times yeah. as we've been visiting today. Um, you've said before that art is a conversation and an opening of the heart, mm. often. Um, art's very important in your life. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that. Art's a big, uh, has played a major role in my own life. My father, who was a minister, was also an artist. Growing up in Senegal, uh, it's kind of the heart of the arts for West Africa. It's a very flamboyant culture. And when I lived in Cairo, Egypt, we did a lot of uh, east-west dialogue. And it was the same type of thing that everyone does, forums and lectures and panels. And you have the same people show up, and uh, 100 people, et cetera, that come. And uh, one day, I, I, I was talking to one of the chief imams there, um, Muslim imams. And he was bored. I was bored. What can we do? And I said, I'll tell you what. Let's take our church, and I was the rector of an Episcopal church there, and we'll convert it into an art gallery, and we'll bring Christian and Muslim artists together around a theme that brings us together. And we did it. He said, okay, so we did it. And uh, so it, in a sense, became this you know, really, really unique art gallery. And we had 10,000 people wow. show up. And those completely outside of the typical circles that you know, we would be communicating with. And so we started it as an arts festival every year, et cetera. Largely visual art, but music and literature and film, et cetera, around the visual art. We had the late Omar Sharif, the actor, mm -hmm. helping us a good bit at that time. And uh, so what, through that whole experience, I began to see that art actually has the power to be one of the most effective mediums to enable, uh, facilitate sharing, to encourage a greater understanding of the other, to change stereotypes, and more than anything, to facilitate the deepening of friendships. And there's something transcendent about art. It takes us to that deeper level and we can see things in new and fresh ways. There's something about art that's indirect. It's like working and addressing a challenging topic under the table so those defensive walls don't naturally go up, and so it speaks. Often when they, it does the, the viewer not even knowing it's speaking to them. Uh, so there's not that defensiveness on, on sensitive subjects. And it's also art can be an encounter point, bringing people together that normally don't come together. You have some books that you have here on the table. You've written four books, as I understand it, and you're working on a fifth that has um, some Wyoming history in it. We're excited to hear more about that perhaps a little bit later. But um, 
Tell me um, a little bit about your last book, perhaps we'll start there, In Search of a Prophet, a spiritual journey with, and I hope I pronounced it, Hali. Khalil Gibran. Gibran. Yeah, Khalil Gibran became very well known in the West. He was Lebanese born, Arab American, moved in the late 1800s uh, during the Lebanese immigration uh, here to the United States. Uh, and he was most known for his book, The Prophet, which became kind of almost like a, uh, it was, it was uh, a sacred, new alternative sacred text in the seven, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, and, um, but uh, I was intrigued by him because he was this unique East-West figure. And more specifically, he grew up in a intolerant, sectarian uh, context in Lebanon. And he ends up throughout his life journey, he ends up in the United States, becoming this all-embracing figure with a spirituality that uh, actually everyone can tap into and benefit from. So I was intrigued by what were those stages in his life that caused him to open up and become that way. So I went and traveled all around the world. Everywhere he lived and worked and read what he wrote during that, in that particular place. Uh, and it took me from Lebanon to Mexico City and different parts of the United States and other parts of Europe. Um, so anyway, it was a fascinating, fascinating uh, project to work on. And I do think we have a tremendous amount to learn from his life. In today's world. In today's world, very much so. You know, because he really does teach us about seeing the image of God in everyone. And that leads us to looking kindly on the other. And it's something, of course, our country can benefit from a lot right now. So you're considering a book that has a Wyoming connection. The book I'm thinking, or I should say I'm working on, uh, researching on right now, relates to Reverend John Roberts, who was the Welsh clergyman who came and started the Episcopal Church's mission to, uh, on the Wind River Reservation. He actually started almost all of our churches. He planted almost all of our churches in Fremont County. Uh, very unique individual, especially now when there's a renew, renewed interest in uh, Native American spirituality because he encouraged indigenous native expressions of spirituality and their interplay with the Christian faith, which was remarkable back then. And I think it's because he was a Celt. He had a Celtic spirituality and their situation and context there in Wales was very similar. The Episcopal Church is making a significant effort as we speak today on the reservation, specifically at St. Michael's Mission. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that. Right. We have a, a, a very uh, special um, context there called a sacred circle, uh, St. Michael's Mission. They call it St. Michael's Circle. Number of buildings around there that actually have not been kept up over the years. Uh, we've just made a major decision to renovate them and bring them to life, not just physically, but also spiritually and from a humanitarian standpoint to serve the local community. Uh, it's costly, so it's a real investment, but more than anything else, it's long overdue. And there have been a lot of promises over the years. Uh, and the time has come for us to step up and come alongside our Native American sisters and brothers there, which of course are Northern Arapaho, as well as the Eastern Shoshone, uh, and assist them in new and fresh ways. And one of the ways is we have been given 
It's called the Edith May Adams Collection. It's a collection of northern Arapaho artifacts, uh, from headdresses to canvas, bison hide paintings, to marvelous beadwork and, and et cetera. Uh, about 230 items, and we will be putting them in uh, a, one of those buildings. We're actually renovating it. It will become a first-class museum honoring the Northern Arapaho peoples, telling their story, and in there telling our story as well as our, of our experience. There. The Episcopal Church's experience on the reservation. On the reservation, yeah, very much so. <clears throat> this figure, John Roberts, that I'm working on this book on, uh, was a close friend of Chief Washaki and Chief Blackhole on the Northern Arapaho side. So, uh, it's, so it's bringing some of that to life as well. I also wanted to say that one of our upcoming art exhibitions is titled Grounded. Uh, it involves Northern Plains contemporary artists. And it's the title means that it's about, we're focusing on how we're connected, interconnected with all of creation, including the earth and all living things, wildlife, and of course of humanity as well. And there's a tremendous amount we have to learn from Native American spirituality in that regard. And so this art ex exhibition will actually tour Wyoming, and then it will tour a few other parts of the United States, then we'll go to Europe, and end up in the Middle East of all places. Because I think it's a moment in time right now, and one of the unique things I think for the Episcopal Church is to serve as a catalyst toward enabling the, the larger world to benefit from the spirituality and the culture of our Native American sisters and brothers. Look forward to seeing that. Sounds spectacular. Bishop Paul Gordon Chandler, I can't thank you enough for spending time with us on Wyoming Chronicle. I really appreciate your time. It's my privilege, and especially for your last interview. Very much. We should have had a bottle of champagne here <laughs> or something like that. Well, it's enough of a celebration just to have you. But as we told our viewers at the top of the show, I've asked you to um, lead us out here with a prayer for the state of Wyoming. So now the floor is all yours. I would be honored. Our creator God, source of all good gifts, linked at this moment in time here in Wyoming, we value the friendships that are formed across all of our citizens, regardless of ethnicity, political persuasion, culture, or faith tradition. You created all peoples in your image and we thank you for the beauty of diversity. Show us your presence all the more in those who differ from us, thereby enriching each of our own lives. And we ask for your guidance at this critical time for our state and country. Give each of us the privilege of using the gifts that you've given us to further hope, peace, and healing through all facets of society. Give us open minds, caring hearts, wisdom and courage to choose lives of purpose, and may our future overflow with brightness. May we celebrate the gift of life in this new year. And in your watchful compassion, may peace rule in all of our hearts. Empower us with your strength, enrich us with your love, and energize us with your hope. Our God, whose presence fills the whole creation and who's found wherever we go, surround us with your loving care, protect us from every danger, 
and bring us all in safety to our journey's end. And the blessing of God who made us, who loves us, and who travels with us be with us all, now and forever. Amen. Funding for this program is made possible in part by the Wyoming Humanities Council, helping Wyoming take a closer look at life through the humanities, thinkwhy.org, and by the members of the Wyoming PBS Foundation. Thank you for your support.